Giving of gifts is a joyous thing. It is a blessed thing. It's a gracious thing. Whether it's a birthday gift or a just because gift or back me up on this kid's Christmas, right? Huh? It's a great day of the year. Now, can you imagine a scenario? It's Christmas morning, let's say. Can you imagine a scenario where the gracious, the loving, the kind giving of gifts leads to disunity and bickering and factions? If you cannot imagine a scenario where the blessed and good giving of good gifts from the heart can devolve into disunity and factions, then I submit to you, you do not have siblings. Every mom in here knows the stress come Christmas morning that all the gifts are somewhat equal or they look kind of equal because a kid doesn't understand. Yeah, I know you got one thing, but that one thing costs a lot of money, right? Yeah. Kids don't understand all that. And he got more and she got more and now suddenly you're fighting. And how, how can it be? You imagine the heartbreak on a mom. Kids, be good to mom, you know? Imagine the heartbreak. Of course she loves y'all equally. And she, she, she works so hard to divvy that up. Imagine, and then, and then to have, well, turn into bickering. The heartbreak of a dad, right? Imagine a dad, he invests and works hard and, and watches his mom prepares all those gifts. <sighs> right? But the heartbreak of a dad, I gave you all these gifts and now you're going to fight about it. Now imagine the heartbreak of a loving God who gives gifts to his church at Corinth only to have that church at Corinth instead of rejoicing these gifts and using them for the edif edification of others, turn into disunity and bickering and factions. That's what we have in 1 Corinthians. We're going to be there today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Will you turn there? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is a letter. Paul loves this church at Corinth, but he's been hearing about these factions. Some people elevate certain preachers over others. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm Matt Chandler. Like what? And they're all bickering about who's got the, uh, uh, who, well, me, I just follow Jesus. I don't know about you guys. Factions. Some people are using their newfound freedom to, to cause others to stumble. Others are legalists and factions. It's like God is trying to do this good thing and it's devolving into factions and it breaks the Apostle Paul's heart. I think it breaks the heart of God. The particular issue he gets to in 1 Corinthians 12 has to do with gifts. Certain spiritual gifts are being highly prized and valued over other spiritual gifts. These are gifts given to believers by the Holy Spirit. Some are being highly valued and prized. Others are being dismissed. And basically the people who are getting like the miracles and the prophecy and especially the speaking in languages, the speaking in tongues, they're getting so highly valued that if you don't have those gifts, you're basically seen as a second class Christian right? That you're like JV Christianity. You sit there on the bench while the varsity Christians handle this. And so Paul writes this, this letter. No, no, no. This is, this is, this is turning you guys into, into factions and causing division. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he faces this issue head on. And I believe, though it was a word for 1 Corinthians in that ancient church, I believe it is very much a word for the modern church today. God wants to say something to us through these verses. So, let's start with chapter 12, verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. He, he said, you know, chapter 8. Now, concerning food sacrifice to idols. Now, concerning marriage. Now, concerning this. Now, he gets the spiritual gifts. Now, concerning spirituals, it says. Uh, we, we, we translate spiritual gifts. It could be spiritual people. It just, it just says, now, concerning spirituals, right? Spiritual things, brothers. I don't want you to be uninformed. Every time, watch this, every time in the Bible, one of the Bible writers says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant. You can guarantee it is, he, that Bible writer is talking around a topic that there is a lot of ignorance about. Or there is a lot of misinformation or disinformation about. And I'm telling you, it hadn't changed in 2,000 years. Go through the Bible. It'll be like, I don't want you to be uninformed about the second coming of Christ. I don't want you to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. And here we are 2,000 years later, and I'm telling you, 
there is still a lot of misinformation, a lot of uh, uh, people are unclear about this topic of spiritual gifts. Have you ever noticed how, like, sometimes we even get uncomfortable around this topic. If you've been in church for a while, some churches, right? Like, uh, <clears throat> hold on, preacher, just so I understand you correctly. Are you going to preach on spiritual gifts today? Yep. Like all the gifts? Yep. Like, are you going to preach on speaking in tongues? Don't miss this Sunday at First Baptist, yo. <laughs> yup, right? I mean, you can see, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The, 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 for some people, there's fear, and it makes us uncomfortable. So what is the church's most typical response when something is uncomfortable? Complete avoidance of the topic. <laughs> and I'm sure there's a lovely verse in Ephesians we could talk about instead of this, right? But there's no need to avoid it. I think that uh, it is an overcorrection because people see the abuse of some spiritual gifts. I'll just tell you this at the front. Because we see the abuse of it, I think we need to correct the abuse. But I think we overcorrect when we say, fine, we're going to pretend this chapter is not even in the Bible. I think that's an overcorrection. It would be like, to use the Christmas gift analogy, it would be like you chastise all the kids. So next Christmas, they're like, fine, we will not open any of these gifts because the potential for misuse is there. You'd be like, well, that's not the way to do it either, right? So how do we handle these verses? Well, there's confusion and there's fear. The confusion we're going to clear up because Paul's going to help us clear up. He takes 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. We're just going to look at the first 11 verses of 12. We can, we can deal with the confusion today. But the fear, the fear I need to speak to your heart. Listen to me. If you're a child of God, listen to me. You never need to fear what your heavenly father wants to give to you. You never need to be afraid. Why? Because his love is perfect. And he knows how to give good gifts. And there never needs to be fear around your thinking about the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's good. His love is perfect. And perfect love does what? Perfect love drives out all fear. So we can deal with the fear thing by simply saying, the Holy Spirit, God, loves you perfectly. So there's no need for fear. Don't let fear keep you today from delighting in all that God has for you and being used for his glory. Okay, so Paul starts by reminding the Corinthian Christians who they are. Look at verse two. You, you, were, you were idolaters and then you got saved. Look at what he says. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Oh, I suppose somebody could mouth the words, Jesus is Lord. His point is, you can't say that and mean it. You can't confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe on your heart, unless the Holy Spirit has given you the power to do that. So Paul's saying, before we talk about spirituals, if you are a child of God, if you've been born again, guess what? You're all the varsity. You have the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you can't, you, can't, you can't glorify Jesus as the Messiah. You can't glorify Jesus as Lord unless the Holy Spirit is upon you. So don't get it twisted. There's not some elite class of super spiritual Christians and then there's the rest of us. No, the, the minute you confess him as Lord, the, the minute you, you belong to him, you're filled with the Spirit. So the ultimate criteria says, let's don't get it twisted. When we talk about these gifts, Anything that adds more glory to Jesus, anything that promotes Jesus is Lord, is of the Spirit. Anything that takes away from his glory, you can be sure is not of the Spirit. So with that groundwork laid, he's ready to get into some specifics. Now, he says, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Go back to Christmas morning. Hey, hey, I know you all didn't get the same thing, but it's the same love went into all this, right? He's trying to say, whoa, whoa, I know there's variety of gifts, but the same spirit. Now, the Greek word for gifts is charismata. Charismata. You hear that? In fact, it means really grace gifts, gifts freely bestowed. The word charis means grace in Greek, right? So these are free gifts of grace. They are the charismata. That's why we get the word charismatic, which means if you have been born again 
<laughs> the Bible says you've been given a gift. Some of you have multiple gifts. Sometimes he gives multiple gifts from the Holy Spirit, freely given. That means you have a grace gift. That means every Christian, technically, is a charismatic. Every member is a charismatic. That's why I'm calling the sermon, every member a charismatic. Now some of you are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now you had me a few weeks ago, uh, every member is a disciple, that's one thing. And, and every member is a priest, okay, I saw where you went. But I'd rather you go back to calling me an alien than a charismatic. Well, look at the next verse. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Watch this. Everyday, ordinary acts of service uh, helps and, and giving, these are now set on the same level as the really noticeable, extraordinary acts of the Holy Spirit. So that's part of being a charismatic too. All right, let, let's do it this way. When I say every member is a charismatic, every Christian a charismatic, look, real talk, what comes to mind? Let's do a little thought experiment. You can play along if you want. You don't have to. But, but just close your eyes. And I said, suddenly, imagine what do you picture? What comes to mind when I say suddenly the Holy Spirit depend, the, the totally descends upon this worship service? In all his fullness, the Holy Spirit comes and this becomes a spirit-filled worship service. Be honest. What are you imagining? What's happening in your mind's eye? Now, open your eyes. If you're like me, when you hear every member a charismatic and, you know, Holy Ghost revival and the Holy Spirit descends and all his power and fills this place. Be honest. If you're like me, you're imagining jumping pews and shouting hallelujah. There's a certain generation that will remember a squirrel that went berserk. Not everyone will, right? Teach your children, right? You imagine hooping, hooping and hollering. Let me ask you, when you close your eyes and I said the Holy Spirit of God descends in all his fullness, how many of you, your first thought was all of the poor of Coleman County immediately are fed? How many of you, your first thought is that people who are grieving the loss of a loved one right now immediately feel filled with the peace that passes all understanding? My mind doesn't go there. Why not? How many of you, your first thought was people who are battling anxiety and depression and discouragement. They're trying to walk in the Lord, but they're, 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 they're growing weary and tired. Immediately their tank is filled with fresh hope and encouragement. People who need a word of knowledge are suddenly get, my mind doesn't go there. Why? Man, because that doesn't have pizzazz, you know? That's not flashy. All the poor get fed, okay, you know, but... Man, I want to see the, 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 the flashy stuff. Exactly. And that same spiritual DNA can be traced all the way back to our ancient ancestors in the church of Corinth who much valued the flashy stuff. Here Paul says, no, no, no. There's varieties of gifts, same spirit. Varieties of service, same Lord. And look at verse 6. And varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. See, I want you to see, it, it, my, my dream, I guess, for this series is that your sense of your vocation and calling as a Christian will be elevated to like biblical heights, right? That's what I'm doing. I'm, this is a series all about, if you haven't noticed, identity. See, for the for some of you, now some of you have been walking with the Lord years and years, you get all this, but for some of you, the word disciple was always scary. It was always this word you didn't understand. But when you heard disciple was apprentice, you thought, well, I can be an apprentice of Jesus Christ. Of course, I'm not going to get everything right. He's just asking me to apprentice my life to him. I can do that. I want to start being a disciple today, right? And when you hear that priesthood is about access to God and about being set apart for his purposes, well, I can be a part of his royal priesthood because of what he's done. I am a priest. And when you you hear alien you go that's why I don't feel fully at home even in a country like America American values don't always mesh with Christian values and I'm not home yet I'm a resident alien and now you're realizing I want you to go to places you've maybe never thought you were allowed to go and that's I've been given a gift by the Holy Spirit well if that's your definition call me a charismatic then every Christian is a charismatic Christian there's no two-class Christianity no one should feel second class. Yes, it's, it's, it's a variety. It's all different, but it's the same God. Did you catch what Paul did there in those verses, by the way? Did anybody catch that? 
he took the unity operating in diversity, the diversity that operates in unity, he took that and he grounded it theologically in the Trinity. If you look at four, five, six, all on one screen, you'll be able to see. Look, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's varieties of service, the same Lord, Jesus Christ. Varieties of activities, but same God who empowers them all in everyone. He's saying, see that? Father, Son, Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God the Father. No, no uh, 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 disharmony, no, right? They're glorifying one another, edifying one another. No competition, no exclusion in the Trinity. That's my dream for the church. See, that's what Paul's saying. That, that, that's us. To each is given, verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We'll come back to this verse. I think it's the key verse in the passage, so we'll need to come back. But I think at this point we can pause, and I think we're safe to give a definition of spiritual gift. That line about manifestation of the Spirit in verse 7 leads me to say it this way. A spiritual gift is a capability given by the Holy Spirit to a believer for ministering to others. Let's go over it again. A spiritual gift is a capability, right, given by the Holy Spirit to a believer for ministering to others. Not to, not to glorify yourself, but to edify others, to minister, right? It's always outward focus. That's how the love of God is. Which means a couple things. For one thing, it means that a spiritual gift is not a talent. A spiritual gift is different from a talent. Uh, talents can go to anybody. They do, right? I mean, there's people, people who hate God that are like awesome piano players, right? People who hate God that are like great at, at uh, dribbling. I, I don't know why. That's an important talent. Uh, and uh, you, you understand. It, it doesn't matter. You can have all sorts of hula hooping or whatever. There's all sorts of talents. Um, but that, uh, and, and it's a mark of common grace that God gives these talents to everyone. All talents come from God, but a talent comes, you're born with it. A spiritual gift doesn't come at your birth. A spiritual gift comes at your rebirth. A spiritual gift doesn't come when you're born. A spiritual gift comes when you're born again. And you're bestowed by the Spirit uh, a gift. It, it could be multiple gifts, or it could be some different, unique combination of gifts. Uh, but uh, a gift is not a talent. That's why sometimes, sometimes your talent, your natural talent, this is cool, sometimes your natural talent will sort of pair well with your gift. Here I'm thinking of, a, uh, I know I, I'm a friend with this evangelist. He travels around and speaks. This guy would be great at any job that requires communication. It, it doesn't, he didn't, I, I think he would just be great. He's just, he is a talented speaker. You know, he travels around and speaks. But I think God has also given him the spiritual gift of evangelism. So I just think it's cool. Like they pair well together, but they don't have to. Example in the Old Testament of someone whose spiritual gift didn't pair well at all with his natural talent is Moses. The one thing Moses couldn't do was public speaking. Remember when God calls him, he tells him, I'm slow of speech. It could have been a stutter, a speech impediment. We don't know. But the one thing he couldn't do is public speaking. God's like, great, I'm going to make you the spokesman to Pharaoh and lead all the people. Right? That's not his talent at all. And he gave him Aaron to help out. But, but the point is, that's not his talent at all. It was his spiritual gift. Why do I say all that? Don't assume automatically that you have a particular spiritual gift because that's the way you're wired or that's the way your talent is. You know, I read this funny, um, I, don't, I, mean, I don't know if he meant it to be funny, but uh, I was read this, this old Spurgeon sermon where he was preaching on spiritual gifts and he's basically talking about this preacher who was, he, he, this guy really wanted to be a preacher and he was just insistent that God had called him to preach and he was preaching, but he was lousy at preaching. And so Spurgeon like pulls him aside and is like, you know, I don't think, I'm sorry to say this, like, but you don't have the spiritual gift of preaching. He gets right in Spurgeon's face. He says, no, that's not it. I have the spiritual gift of preaching. It's that none of these people have the spiritual gift of listening. Like, <laughs> nah, bro. Right? So you don't assume because you have a particular talent, don't assume that you have the gift that goes with it. But also, listen, don't rule out the possibility you have a particular gift just because your natural inclination and talent go a different direction. That's the whole point. It's a spiritual gift. It's supernatural. So a gift is not a talent. The other thing is don't ever confuse spiritual gifts from spiritual fruit. It's gifts, fruit. Gifts deal with capabilities 
spiritual fruit deals with character. And fruit grows over time. The gift is given. Fruit grows over time, and it grows sort of symmetrically. And there's this thing, this spiritual fruit. It's not fruits, plural. It's this, this multifaceted spiritual fruit called love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control fruit. Okay? And, and that's why, by the way, you won't see somebody, you won't, you won't be like, well, you know, sorry. Um, I love you. I have the spiritual gift of love and self-control, but not gentleness. So, you know, you, you, no, no, no. They grow, they grow like organically, you know, symmetrically. And that's why fruit grows in that way. Um, that's important because you may see somebody, for example, I, I can only speak out of my own context, but you might see nationally, you're looking around and you see a preacher who's grown this big ministry and you say, oh, what a fruitful ministry. You say, we don't know. We don't know. God has obviously gifted this person to grow a big ministry. He has the gifts of leadership, administration, speaking, whatever. But as for fruit, you'd have to ask his family. Because they're the only ones who know whether there's any love, joy, peace, patience. Yeah, all, right, all we see is up on stage. That makes sense? So it's, it's fruit. In fact, a, a good Old Testament example would be Samson. The Holy Spirit came upon him, gave him all his strength. So he had gifts endowed by the Holy Spirit, but he didn't have much fruit, did he? So there are gifted uh, people who may or may not be fruitful. So spiritual gift is not spiritual fruit. It is a capability given by the Holy Spirit to a believer for ministering to others. Well, all right, can you give me some examples? Yeah, Paul goes through some examples here, and I just want you to see, this is not an exhaustive list. There are other lists, ones in Romans, I think Ephesians. Even those, I don't think, are meant to be exhaustive lists, because sometimes they overlap, and sometimes there's offices mentioned, or offices part of the gifts. I, I don't know. I, I think Paul's just saying, here are some examples of what I'm talking about. His point is not so much to do a catalog of all the spiritual gifts. His point is to say, whatever you got, you all got it from the same Spirit. So why, why have you weaponized your gifts against one another when they should be for mutual edification? So give me an example. But since we have them here, let's talk about a few of them. For to one is given through the Spirit. He's trying to say this is all from the same Spirit. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. And what are these gifts? Utterance of wisdom, utterance of knowledge. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Obviously, all believers, you'll see this from time to time, all believers need wisdom. All believers need knowledge. You can't be like, oh, sorry, not my gift. No, 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 doesn't work that way. We should pray for that. What this utterance of knowledge or utterance of wisdom is, I believe, is a supernatural understanding. Let's take utterance of knowledge. I believe that's a supernatural understanding that God gives to some where they're able to know God's word and explain it so that it makes sense to somebody else. You are able to explain the word of God. That's an utterance of knowledge, and it is a great gift to the church. I wonder if maybe um, uh, our, our Sunday school teachers, particularly our Sunday school teachers who teach the little children, I wonder if maybe God has given many of them this gift. Because you can explain, I can explain something to adults, and people are like, ah, okay, we got it, or we didn't, whatever. Try teaching biblical truth to a fourth grader. In fact, I often wonder if maybe that'd be the best seminary preaching class there could be. Take all the seminarians who want to be preachers. Say, if you can teach these fourth graders, because they'll tell you straight up, that doesn't make any sense, right? They'll call it out, and that's what you need, okay? So, so, so utterance of knowledge. Utterance of wisdom is the ability to take God's word, I believe. Supernaturally, you take God's word, and you can apply it to somebody's life. You can see life from God's perspective, and they have a problem, and you're able to solve that problem because you're able to apply the word of God to their situation. Utterance of knowledge, utterance of wisdom. Verse 9, to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. Here we go again. Faith. All believers need faith. Hebrews says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So everybody needs faith. You can't be like, sorry, I don't believe in God. It's not my spiritual gift. No, no, no. It's not talking about that. This is a supernatural capability given by God where you can see things. You, you can trust God when you cannot, when nobody else can see how this is going to work out, you can trust God. Now, one of the things that's cool about going through a catalog of lists like this, if you've been, if you've been walking in community for a long time, this is why you can't, you can't do Christianity as a lone ranger. You've you got to be in community. There's lots of reasons. Here's one. If you're off by yourself, you won't get to experience this. But if you've been walking in community, so you've been faithfully plugging away, you're a member of the church, you're part of a Sunday school class, you're ministering, you're, 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 you're plugged in, over time, you'll begin to, as you go through, like to another faith utterance of knowledge, utterance of wisdom, your, your mind right now, you're thinking of people you know who you think maybe have this gift. 
At least that's what I do when I read this. To another faith. I'm like, oh yeah, I know who that is. I can tell you his name. A guy I worked with uh, in, uh, in New York. He's a minister, a church planter. And he, um, uh, I was the, on the board of directors. And he was our executive director of this ministry, this church planting ministry. And I knew he had the gift of faith because he always scared the rest of us to death. You know, he would be able to see things that we could never see. And I'm sitting there the whole time like, well, we're either going to be bankrupt or probably in jail. Like, you know, something's going to go horribly wrong. He could see it when we couldn't see it. And every time I smile when I think about that. Maybe you're the same way. You're, you're seeing these gifts of the Spirit. You're going, I, I wonder if maybe that person has this or you see that. To another, gifts of healing. I, I, I think this goes beyond the medical arts. I mean, there are physicians and nurses and counselors who could possess this gift. That'd be, that'd be one of those times when it pairs. But I think this is a supernatural ability to restore someone to physical, mental, or emotional health through prayer. And when this happens, it's obviously done in such a way that God alone gets the credit. You know, you might, you might say, well, you know, preacher, what, um, what do you think about these faith healers on television? I don't know. I... I'll be honest, sometimes I'm a little skeptical because it seems like in all these gifts, they're from the Lord, they're for the building up of others, and the person never gets the glory, God gets the glory. And sometimes I scratch my head, I mean, I don't, sometimes I scratch my head and I think, you know, th this person sure seems like they're, they're really about themselves in some ways, whereas I think a gift of healing wouldn't uh, show up in that way because it would reflect the spirit who gave, in, in fact, I wonder if, you notice in the book of James when it says if one of you is sick, he should call the elders, plural. He should call the pastors, a plurality, plural, to anoint. One of the things you can do, I mean, you don't have to do this, but you can pray. One of the things you do is call the elders, have them anoint you with oil and pray over you. I wonder if James does that. It's insistent. It's a plurality of elders. Why? Because if it worked, if the person was miraculously healed, um, nobody would get the credit except God. Does that make sense? You, you couldn't be like, okay, wh okay, which one of you was the super prayer? <laughs> you, know? you would know. Because that gift, it almost needs a, a cautionary ring around that kind of fire. And that's one of the, 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 the protectives God gives us, I think, um, so that uh, uh, God alone gets the glory. Anyway, just a thought. I, I hope, I, I hope, as you read through uh, inventory of spiritual gifts like this, I hope you get excited. Because what I want you to see is all of these gifts are to bless other people. It's to build up. It's to edify so if every member is a charismatic, meaning if every member takes seriously, I've been given a gift of the Spirit, and I'm not to use that gift to edify myself. I'm to build up somebody else. Man, I'm praying for even more and more gifts for people. that, 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 that They'll take seriously their giftedness and use it for the glory of others. Why? Because then I'll be built up. Uh, imagine it this way. So, so say it's Christmas, and I'm in my living room, and I'm surrounded by my family, and I'm watching as they open a gift. <laughs> And first, Jackie opens a gift. And it's a brand new KitchenAid mixer to make brownies and cakes and cookies. Who's that gift for? And then my next kid, uh, 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 Katie opens up a, uh, uh, an art. And the art is like this big stencil that's like, I love you, Dad, in this really cool calligraphy. And it's like, I can't wait to work on this awesome project that's going to end up with this big poster that says, I love you, Dad. And finally, my, you know, uh, Anna gets something. And then, um, and then, <laughs> third kid. And then uh, Carson opens up a weed eater. And he's like, Dad, yes, I can't wait to take over the weed eating duties this summer. I love to do this chore. Suddenly, I'm realizing these gifts are a blessing to me. Right? This is, this is what Paul's talking about. Rightly understood when you start to realize, wait, wait, wait. The church is opening up gifts, not as tools, you know, entertain, tool, not, excuse me, not as toys. Toys are for our own amusement and entertainment. These are tools to dig foundations of faith and to build walls of spiritual protection and to bless one another. Does that make sense? That's exciting stuff. To another, verse 10, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Okay, working of miracles. This is the supernatural ability to pray and will supernatural things happen. I wish Paul gave more of a definition of what he means by working of miracles, but there you have it. 
At the very least, I think we can say these, these are folks the Holy Spirit empowers and uses to see less common things happen for the glory of God. Miracles are by definition rare. This is a person who God seems to use to have these rare things happen for the glory of God. I don't know, but I, I don't know how you could read the biography of a man named George Mueller and not be led to the conclusion that here's a man who had the gift of miracles. Um, George Mueller's name became synonymous in the 1800s with orphans. Uh, so he's in England, and he's, he's, he's lead, uh, starting up all these orphanages. One thing leads to another. You know, you got the Industrial Revolution. You know your history, and you got all these displaced families and homelessness, and, 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 and like uh, Charles Dickens would write novels about this kind of thing. Kids are running around hopeless and homeless. So he gathers them in, and he leads his whole, One thing leads to another. He gets hundreds and hundreds of orphans, and eventually he, um, uh, thousands in a network of orphanages, and what he did for the poor and how many lives he touched. He did the whole thing by faith. What I mean by that is he didn't, he didn't go out and do a lot of fundraising. He would just pray and see how God was going to meet the needs that day. There's just, you just, just Google George Mueller's stories. They're incredible. There's one where uh, someone witnessed that uh, he didn't have anything that day to feed him for breakfast. And all the kids were going to go off that morning. But he had, um, he had nothing to feed him. So he laid out all the plates and all the cups and prayed, Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do to fill these empty plates and cups. We can't wait to see how you're going to provide. He doesn't have anything for him for breakfast. So they're all sitting around like, okay, amen. No sooner does he say amen, he gets a knock on the door and it, the, the baker shows up and he says, at two o'clock this morning, the Lord impressed upon my heart that I need to make enough bread for your whole ministry here. And um, I, I don't know why, but he insisted. And so I've made it. I got up early and I made it. And here it is. While they're passing out the bread, the milkman says, the wagon, uh, the axle on my milk wagon has broken. All of this milk is going to go to waste and spoil. So here, I'll just donate it all. And they go around and fill up all the kids' cups. The working a miracle. I mean, that's, that's what it is. Now, who, who gets the glory in that? God. That's not a self-aggrandizing gift. Glory to God. To another prophecy. Uh, prophecy is not telling the future. Sometimes we think of prophecy as, you know, oh, a prophetic word, I'm going to tell you the future. It's not that. But it's also not just preaching the word of God. I mean, there's an element of prophetic preaching. But I hear some people say, prophecy is not foretelling, it's forthtelling, telling forth the word of God. I think it's a little more than that. I would say it this way. Prophecy is telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. So God puts something on your mind to tell someone else to build them up, to edify them. Um, of course, you could see how that's open to abuse, right? If you go around telling everybody, you know, God told me to tell you this, and God told me to tell you this, and God told me to tell you this. I'd be like, did God give you any humility with this amazing gift of prophecy that you are wielding around like a flamethrower, right? Uh, uh, it's obviously open to abuse, and um, uh, the reason, of course, is God, you may think God told you something, uh, but if it comes here from the Word of God, we know it's perfect. There's no error in transmission. Um, but if it comes to you, there may be errors. And so because you, you need to know, you may be erroneous. Having said that, and of course it's open to abuses. People could become arrogant and all. But having said all that, on the other hand, what if we said, fine, let's do away with prophecy. We'll never have it again. On the other hand, has no one ever had this experience where someone came up to you and said, hey, um, I can't explain this, but the Lord just laid this scripture verse on my heart, and I feel like I'm supposed to share it with you. And here's this word, here's this scripture verse. And it was just the right word you needed at just the right moment. That's prophecy. And I, while I know it's open to abuse, I think it's overcorrecting to say, therefore, you know, let's never use it again. To distinguish between spirits is often called discernment. Uh, you can discern the Holy Spirit's activity in people's lives as distinguished from de demonic activity. Boy, do we need that in 2021. Somebody who, discernment, who can tell fake news from reality, who can put to rest all crazy conspiracy theories and say, you know, this is what's true. Just uh, discernment. To some, the ability to speak in various kinds of tongues, here we go, or languages. Or to another, the interpretation of tongues or languages. You know, you know the, word, the word tongues just mean languages. It would probably help us if we could translate tongues as languages so it wouldn't sound so otherworldly. 
Um, but in church parlance, we don't call it speaking in languages. We call it speaking in tongues. I wish we would call it speaking in languages, but that's okay. If that's what the church calls it, that, that, that's the vocabulary I'll use. But that's speaking in tongues. What is speaking in tongues? Speaking in tongues is prayer or praise spoken in syllables not understood by the speaker. Let me say it again. These are, this is prayer or praise to God that is spoken in syllables that are not understood by the speaker. Now, this doesn't mean that, they're, that they've lost all control. Uh, it doesn't mean losing control. And we know that because even when this happened at Pentecost, they're praising and praying, and people are all able to hear in different languages, but, uh, but they, were, they, were under, they, they never lost control. They were all able to stop and cease so that Peter could preach his sermon. Besides, if one of the part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And so, uh, 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 there you go. It, obviously, it, it, if you remember, the point of this is to edify others. Then it doesn't edify to, to hear an unknown language and praise to God. That's why Paul points out it's paired with interpretation of tongues, which is the reporting to the church the general meaning of something spoken in tongues. So this is the supernatural ability to report to the church the general meaning of what this person is saying. Not all spirit-filled Christians will receive this gift. Why? Because not all spirit-filled Christians receive any particular uh, gift. It's not, well, you're not spirit-filled unless you have discernment or unless you have prophecy or unless you speak in tongues. That's not how it works. You may or may not. So it is, I don't want to be misunderstood. It is wrong to say, unless I speak in tongues, I must not have been filled by the Holy Spirit. That's wrong. And that is an abuse of this gift. Now, here's a good place to point out. Some people, including some pastors I deeply admire and respect, say that these miraculous gifts, here they're talking about tongues, prophecy, healing, and the working of miracles, uh, that they ceased with the apostles, and thus they do not exist anymore for the church. That they've ceased. If you hold that position, they call, that's called being a cessationist, right? You hear the word, it's ceased, it's over. So those gifts are no longer for us today. They were just for the apostles to authenticate their ministry. Now we have the word, we, we, don't, we don't need those anymore for the church, so they ceased. It's cessationism. I do not hold to that position. I do not believe that. While I have never personally spoken in tongues, I do believe this is still a gift given by the Holy Spirit. If you ask, why don't we see it more often, particularly in our churches here, uh, uh, in our denomination, you say, well, why, why not? I, I, it seems to me, makes sense to me, we don't see it expressed as much, because in our services and those watching online, I'm under the assumption most folks hearing me speak English. And so we're able to uh, communicate clearly, uh, the, I mean, sometimes I talk too fast, but we're able to communicate clearly uh, what God is, is saying. So... That's my position on the speaking of tongues. It's open to misuse and abuse, but that doesn't mean we should assume it's been completely done away with. As I said, there are those that are in the cessationist group uh, that uh, uh, they would see it differently. They would disagree. And they love the Lord. They're going to heaven. This is not a salvation issue. That's, that's, that's where I land. But you see the point. You see why Paul has to write this letter, Right? Because you know, if they're in Corinth, you know. That, 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 so they all hear this proclaimed in Corinth Big Church, and then they all go to Corinth Sunday School. And while they're drinking Corinthian coffee, they're sitting around, and you know, like, the guy with the gift of, like, knowledge is like, so that was amazing. Yeah, what Paul wrote, yeah. So, like, what's your spiritual gift? Oh, I have two. What are they? The working of miracles and speaking in tongues. Why? What's yours? Never mind. <laughs> you can see how you'd feel like second class. You'd be like, well, mine must not matter. That's not very impressive, you know. But that's Paul's point. No one should feel second class. His point is, let's put miracles and speaking in unknown languages right next to being wise and discerning and helpful. Why? Because all these are empowered, verse 11, by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, I want to close, and I want to close by making this applicable. I want to draw out three applications for modern Christians. I don't think it's fair to preach on every Christian a charismatic, every member a charismatic, without saying, okay, so what do we do with this? And here they are. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
There they are. If you're a note taker, you can write these down. We'll do them super quick and we'll be done. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That means the first thing you need to know, to each. Spiritual gifts are not for a select few. They are for each believer. Got it? To each. It's not for the ministers and the deacons and the officers and everybody else is left to fend for themselves. No, to each. So what is your spiritual gift? Do you know it? Are you operating in it? Uh, 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 just for the record, it, it's not nearly as important that you're able to know it and analyze it and classify it as it is that you use it. You know what I mean? Um, I, I, I don't think, that, there's not a quiz when you get to heaven. Okay, did you accurately discern your spiritual gift? You know, That's why I've never been a big fan of these spiritual gift inventories. You can go home and you can Google spiritual gift test or spiritual gift quiz and you can fill it out and be like, oh, I had the gift of prophecy. I knew that would be, you know, or whatever. Like, I don't, I've never been a fan of that. Why? Because spiritual gifts are not done in isolation in a laboratory. It's not some quiz you take. Spiritual gifts are discerned over time in community. That's why it's often the case that other Christians will be able to spot your spiritual gift before you can. That's why it's so important. You come to church faithfully. You get in a Sunday school class. Why? Because you're, 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 you're edifying others, and they're going to edify you. So how do you discover your spiritual gift? If you're saying, don't take one of those online inventory. I mean, you can. They're going to hurt. But, 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 but relying on that, if you say, if we're not supposed to do that, how am I supposed to uncover my spiritual gift? Here's what you do. The spiritual gift was given to strengthen someone's faith. We learn that from Romans chapter 1 in verse 11 where Paul says, I'm coming to impart to you some gift. It's going to build up your faith, right? It's going to strengthen you. So, so, so who, who in your life right now needs their faith strengthened? They need to be steadied. They need to be, they're, they're starting to topple. You need to make them untoppleable. Who needs to be steadied? Whose faith needs to be strengthened? Got them? Got that person? Now, what can you do to steady their faith? What can you do to put strength in them, put some steel in their backbone? What can you do to strengthen that person? Got that? You got the person? You got what, you're, what, what naturally comes to mind that you're going to go do? Okay, whatever that is, you ready? Do it. And then, over time, if you find that when you do that, it tends to be successful, guess what you've just uncovered? Your spiritual gift. That's how it works. In service to others, in building them up and strengthening their faith. And so you, 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 you notice that, that you're able to spot people that are on a dangerous path and where they're going is leading for destruction. You're able to come alongside them and offer them a word and it, and it brings them away from that path of destruction into a safe place. And it seems like every time you do that, it tends to be successful. You may just have the spiritual gift of exhortation. You're able to spot people who are tired and they're weak and they're drained. You're able to come to them and take some of that burden and put it on yourself and you're able to lift them up and time and time again, it's successful. You may have the spiritual gift of encouragement or mercy. You notice when people don't feel included, when they feel left out. You always notice the stranger. You always notice that. So you make a special point to reach out to them, to have them in your home, to feed them. You may be a southerner. Or you may, it's hard to tell with hospitality, you may have the gift of hospitality. Always an eye for the stranger, right? See, I'm convinced the big problem is not figuring out what gift I have. The big problem is, am I willing to go and serve others? And if you'll step out in faith with a heart to serve and strengthen others, you know what will be naturally uncovered? Your spiritual gift. To each is given. That's the second thing I wanted to point out. Spiritual gifts are not attained. Gifts are gifts. To each is given. That's why you can't brag about your spiritual gift. It was a gift. That's why I love how Paul starts the whole thing by saying, oh, please. You remember back in verse 2? Who are you? Show of hands. Can anybody say they were born a Christian? That's what I thought. Show of hands. I'll wait. Is anybody in here born a Christian? No, of course not. Why? Because you can't be born a Christian. You've got to be reborn. So he looks around Corinth. He goes, I'm waiting. Anybody here can pull rank? Anybody can say, you know, I've been a member of this whole Christianity thing. No, no, no. You know what you were? You were an idol-worshiping pagan bound for hell. That's who you were. And that's who I was. So let's dial back this whole pride thing a little bit. Since we've all been saved by grace, he saved you. And if that's all he did, that'd be enough. But he not only saved you, he gave you a gift. 
So it's not something you can go bragging around. It's not something you can go pulling rank on. It's a gift. And God's not going to be impressed at the end of your life when he gives him his gift back. He gave you that gift. He wants to know what you do with it. Remember the parable of the talents? Last thing. Spiritual gifts are not for your benefit. They are to strengthen someone's faith. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Paul knows how this can be abused so easily. The folks in Corinth fell into that very same trap of consumerism. Everything was about them. So when God gave spiritual gifts, they thought, well, that's about me too. It's so easy to fall into consumerism at church. It's so easy. It's such an easy trap. I know. You have a tough week. So you come through the doors of a church on a Sunday morning and you think, oh, I hope they sing my favorite songs today. And I hope Pastor Tom goes short. I know he won't. I know he never does. And, you know, I, I, I hope the volume is just right and the heating and air conditioning is perfect. And would it be too much for my Sunday school class to be more engaging and more inviting and I, be more welcoming? And I, me, 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 me. Consumeristic. I know, I know, I know. But let me say this plainly. When it, when it comes to spiritual gifts, we start to think, well, maybe it's the same way. Maybe it's all about me. Don't misunderstand me. Let me say this plainly as I can. Your spiritual gift is not for you. It's for me. And my spiritual gift is not for me. It's for you. It's mutual edification. And with that understanding, for the common good, you start to cheer for each other. You start to say, I I hope we see all sorts of expressions of what God does in our midst. Why? Because the more people who unwrap and begin to use and serve, the more common good is built up. Very exciting to say every member a charismatic. Brandon's going to come and lead us in a time of response and invitation. I, um, I thought it was a little uh, cliche, but then it, it occurred to me it may be a, a, a perfectly apt illustration. When you talk about spiritual gifts or spiritual gift inventories and all that stuff, you, you can't help but talk about, you know, your identity. And one of the things that God does is how unique, right? He, he works in each of us. No two believers. And, uh, you know, this week, uh, couldn't help but notice, uh, talking about snow, snowflakes, and how each individual snowflake, they tell us, no one has ever proven it, no, no scientist has ever looked at all the snowflakes, but apparently each individual snowflake is unique. And each individual snowflake is beautiful in its, what is it, like crystalline structure and how each one is unique. And I think, oh, that's so nice. That's so sweet. And each individual snowflake by itself, so unique, so individual, so worthless by himself. (laughs) What do I mean by that? Dude, one single snowflake? One single snowflake can't call off school on a Tuesday morning. One single snowflake? Are you kidding me? Can you imagine? One single snowflake comes down. I'm unique. Well, may, actually, maybe in the South, one single snowflake can call off school. <laughs> You're right. Bad example. You see my point. My kids want to go out and they want to sled and they don't care that there's literally a lake at the bottom of the hill. We don't think of that until we're halfway down there. <laughs> Why? Because of one single snowflake? No. Because these snowflakes lock together. Snowflake upon snowflake upon snowflake. And if I asked you, which of these individual snowflakes, kids, which one of these do you need to praise? Which one of these do you need to glorify and say, this is the reason we get a snow day. Woohoo! This is the reason we can build a snowman. Look out, snowball. This is the reason we're having so much fun. Okay, kids, which one? Or okay, which subset? You'd say, you're crazy. One snowflake by himself is just going to melt away. I'm grateful that it all locked arms and came down together. It's all from God. That's what we want for a church. It's not, it's not, well, look at this person's gift. Let's build them up. Let's look at this person's gift. No, every member a charismatic. Every member valuable. And together, that's how they shut down cities in the ancient Near East, like modern day snow days. That's how the church triumphant has marched through the ages. Together, each one, given a gift, using that gift, for the common good. If that's your definition of charismatic, 
call me a charismatic. Let's pray. God, grant to us who are your children that we would, like your son Jesus, not live for ourselves, but for the edification of others. God, thank you. And I, I pray more and more people would unwrap their gift. They would begin today, just, just, just like apprenticing themselves as a disciple or, or taking on the royal priesthood, that today they would just begin serving and exploring and experimenting with these, this, this freedom to be used of you in ways that maybe they never thought possible. And God, let all things be done for your glory, not to us, but to your name be the glory forever and ever. We ask that. And if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, they don't have a spiritual gift to unwrap. They don't know you. But God, you are a giving God and you desire to save them. Call them out of darkness into marvelous light and grant to them a spiritual gift that they too may join in ministering to the body and to a lost world that desperately needs help. Grant us this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope the invitation is clear. If you need to respond in some way. Pastor Scott will be here to receive any who may come. It could be that you want to pray right where you are. It could be you want to ask the Lord, Lord, reveal to me. Lord, help me use my spiritual gift, this grace gift, this charismata, Lord, for your glory. Whatever it is, you be obedient to what God says. Will you stand to your feet? Are you hurting broken within? Overwhelmed by the is calling Have you come to the end of yourself Do you thirst for a drink from the well Jesus is calling Oh come to the altar The Father's arms are blood of Jesus Christ As we continue to process the words that Tom has challenged us with as we think about this week, let's close with the benediction from 2 Peter 3.18 Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ To Him be the glory both now and forever and all God's people say